Folks, good morning. Welcome to our Sunday morning service here in St. Phil Baptist. It's good to have you with us. Um, and if you're joining us as a visitor, we do give you a special welcome. Anybody joining online as well, uh, maybe for the first time, a special welcome uh, to you as well. So we see Hannah and Darren and we Caleb with us. Uh, Lucas, of course, as well. Can't miss out Lucas. So good to see you with us as well, folks. Thank you very much. Um, and uh, I'll just take this opportunity to welcome our, our speaker, Pastor Kenny Wilson, with us this morning. So uh, many of you will be familiar with with uh, Pastor Wilson, and so we welcome him and we look forward to his ministry to us this morning. I'm going to just read a, a, a few verses. You don't need to turn to them, just to, to uh, bring our minds uh, into focus to the Lord. Psalm 145 says, I will extol thee, my God, O King, and I will bless thy name forever and ever. Every day will I bless thee, and I will praise thy name forever and ever. Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. So let's come before him this morning and, and praise him. We're going to uh, be turning to 294 in the Praise Him books. It'll be up on the screen. 
uh, on that bright and golden morning when the Son of Man shall come. We were talking this, this morning in the Bible class about, about heaven and looking forward to heaven. And one of the folks, I'll not say who it was, uh, just not to embarrass him, but it's a lovely wee thought. They said, um, we're talking about uh, where the Lord said, I go to prepare a place for you. And uh, they said, if God took six days to make the world, and he's been preparing heaven ever since, now what a place that's going to be. And what a lovely thought that is. I thought that was a lovely thought even to come into the service with this morning. So 294, we're thinking about that bright and golden morning when the Son of Man shall come in the radiance of his glory we shall see. Let's stand together and sing this beautiful hymn. very much Sarah and maybe not one so familiar to us but beautiful words I'm sure we can agree there and what a lovely thought to bring our attention to this morning when we look forward to that day when the Lord will come in glory and receive us home. Now we're going to take time to uh, come before the Lord in prayer and there's a few uh, items just that I want to uh, bring to your attention. Uh, many of you will have heard that Ed Shaw's mother passed away uh, through the week. The funeral will be on Wednesday. Uh, so do pray for the family uh, in their grief uh, and in the arrangements uh, throughout this coming week. Uh, Brother Donald uh, has now got a date for his uh, surgery. Uh, that'll be Friday, end of this week. Uh, so we'll continue to pray for Donald and we'll do that this morning. 
Uh, the folks that have travelled to the Ivory Coast uh, have arrived uh, safely, uh, but unfortunately not all of their luggage seems to be in the one place. Uh, so that's certainly an item for prayer. So we'll pray for the men that are there and pray that the Lord will uh, restore that to them. And um, and also just to remember the the, the the camp that's taken place in Poland over the past week or so. Um, so we'll bring these things to the Lord this morning, ask for his help. Uh, just as we as we meet together this morning, let's pray. Our dear Father, we give you thanks, Lord, for these wonderful truths that our hearts have rested on this morning as we think about uh, that time when the Lord Jesus shall return for his own. Lord, we thank you for those promises, those promises that give us that hope and that assurance and that confidence, Lord, in, in what we believe, Lord, and we Pray that we would be a people who look forward and who look up, waiting for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, we know the signs are there. Lord, we can see them in this world. Lord, we know that the time is drawing nigh for the return of the Lord, and we know that there is still so much to be done. Lord, pray that we would be active people, that we would be willing people to step out, Lord, and to serve, and to continue to share the message of the gospel, the message of truth to men and women, who are currently dying in their sins. Lord, give us that urgency to reach people, Lord, people in our families, people in our communities, Lord, people maybe even in this church. We pray, Lord, that we would have that desire and that heart uh, to share the love of Christ with them, Lord, and to share the urgency, Lord, the need of coming and putting their trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank you again for an opportunity to come and to meet in your presence. We thank you for... Uh, the people of God, Lord, we thank you for the fellowship that we can have together. Lord, we know that there are some of your people who are suffering at the moment, Lord. We think of the Shaw family. We pray that you would draw near to Ed, particularly, and to the, the, the wider family, the brothers, the sisters, Lord. Uh, that you would undertake in the time of need, Lord. We pray that you would bless in the arrangements, Lord, for the funeral. And that you would just uh, put your hand around the family, Lord. Give them that sense of comfort and that presence, Lord, with you, and that they would know uh, that you're standing there with them, Lord, and, and bringing them comfort, Lord. We thank you for Donald, Lord. We pray that you would continue to bless him, Lord. We thank you for this date, and we pray, Lord, that all things would, um, Lord, be in your will and in your hand, Lord, and that you would bless him through the procedure that, that would be undertaken, Lord, and those who would work with him. For the folks in the Ivory Coast, Lord, we thank you for them, for their service, Lord. We pray that you bless them over these next couple of weeks. And particularly, Lord, now with the news of some of their luggage getting misplaced, Lord, we ask that you would smooth that way for them. And Lord, that this wouldn't be a discouragement to them, Lord, or this wouldn't be have a negative impact, Lord, on their first few days, Lord, but you would enable them to serve as their hearts desire, Lord, and give them that desire, Lord, to engage with the people and to work practically and to work well. So, Lord, we ask that in your blessing, Lord, these things would be cleared and that you would be pleased to return their luggage to them. And Lord, we do pray for the uh, the camp, Lord, that's taken place in Poland, Lord. We thank you for the families, the children that have been reached. Lord, we thank you for the work that is ongoing there, Lord, even when the team comes home, for the, the, the work, Lord, that the church out there does. We pray that you would bless them, uh, that you would bless all the seed that has been sown, Lord, and that mighty things might be accomplished, Lord, through your precious word. And Lord, we know that it will never return void, Lord, that there's always a purpose in your word being shared, Lord. And we ask that you would be pleased to challenge and to convert the hearts of men and women, boys and girls, out in that land, Lord. And we pray that uh, there would be a blessing there for the church, Lord. And even through this time of trial in that whole region, Lord, we pray that many souls would be one for Christ. And that we would see, Lord, you working in these areas. And we thank you for your work, Lord, for your activity. And we pray that this morning, Lord, you would be with us here, Lord, as we would hear from your word, Lord. We thank you for the pastor, Lord. We thank you for his ministry in so many places, Lord, over the years. And we pray that as we come here, Lord, that he would have a sense, uh, a fresh sense, Lord, of, of your blessing upon him. Lord, that, that word that you've laid in his heart, Lord, that it might be for us, Lord, this morning. That you would prepare our hearts to receive it, Lord. You would give us an openness, Lord, to receive your word, Lord, whether it's a challenge, whether it's an encouragement, Lord, whether it's a, a fresh sight of your glory, whatever it may be, Lord, I pray that we would have the hearts to receive it and that your spirit, Lord, would have free course, Lord, to challenge us and impact us for good. 
uh, Lord, in your precious word. And we thank you for uh, this time we can have, Lord. Pray that you bless Daniel as we come now and speak to the boys and girls. And pray that you bless the boys and girls as they would listen. And that again, Lord, you would prepare their hearts to hear what you would have to say to them. We ask these things, Lord, in your precious and holy name. Amen. Boys and girls, do ask you to come to the front now. Daniel Reed is going to share with you. Uh, so come on ahead to the first couple of pews. Uh, and then afterwards, I'll ask Brian if he'll give us the necessary announcements. Thank you, Daniel. Good morning, boys and girls. Uh, it's lovely to be along, to have the opportunity to share something with you uh, from the Word of God. And can anyone remember, uh, you might not remember his name, so I'll give you his name. Can anyone remember what I spoke to you last time about? His name was William Tyndale. Can anyone remember what did he do? We use it quite a lot. Yes? That's correct. Yes, he put the Bible into different languages, specifically into English. Sorry, into English. And this is him here. I uh, I have an interest in reading about Christians. I love to read about biographies, about Christians, about how God used them in the past. And whenever I was younger, uh, me and Joshua and Jonathan, we all uh, were taught the Bible. But as well as that, we were taught about other Christians and about their lives. And I can remember being read this little series here, Lightkeeper's Ten Boys. Abigail wasn't long, but say she wasn't born, so we're, there's 10 girls as well. You can get that little series, but we read 10 boys, and there's quite a few different ones. So we have 10 boys who changed the world, uh, lots of different people there, like George Mueller, who worked with the orphans. Um, we have uh, a lot of different ones here. We have 10 boys who made history with D.L. Moody there, so I want you to remember that name. Uh, we'll come back to him. We have 10 boys who made a difference, and William Tyndale's in that one. Uh, with 10 boys who didn't give in, and a lot of the ones in that book, they suffered greatly for their faith, and they were put to death for being Christians. And this one here, this is where I want to focus this morning, 10 boys who used their talents. And the one that I want to think about this morning is a man called Wilfred Grenfell. Have any of you heard of Wilfred Grenfell before? Good, you're going to learn about him this morning. Has any of the adults ever heard of Wil Wilfred Grenfell before? Okay, you're all going to learn about Wilfred Grenfell this morning. And he was a man, he grew up in a place called Parkgate in England. And this is a picture of him here. Now, Parkgate is along the banks of the River Dee. And it's not just the letter D, it's spelled D-E-E. And he grew up in the 1800s, which might seem like quite a long time ago to us this morning, living in 2024. And he loved to be outside. He loved to explore and to be in the garden and to look for maybe insects and animals and have an interest in them. He was very smart, but one problem was whenever he went to school, he couldn't sit still. He just couldn't concentrate, and yet he was so smart. He loved to study maps, but whenever he was in geography class, he had no interest. He found it so difficult. He loved to look at animals. He could tell you all about an earwig, but whenever he was in biology class, he just didn't enjoy it. But one day he got sick and the doctor recommended for his cough that he be sent to somewhere beside the sea in a warmer country. So he went along to France to spend time with his aunt. And whenever he was there, he got to spend some time on boats and really enjoyed that as well. And he came back and he finished high school and eventually he had to decide what he was going to do with his life. And he told his parents that he wanted to become a doctor. And his parents said, a doctor? We've had teachers in our family, we've had ministers, but we've never had a doctor before. So off Wilfred went to London and he learned at medical school how to become a doctor. And it was difficult. He found it hard. He found it hard to concentrate and all the late nights and the long study. And that's what Jonathan's doing at the minute, my brother at Trinity, is learning how to become a doctor. But one night he was coming back from class. It was late at night and he was walking back and he began to hear the sound of music and as he walked it got louder and he followed it and eventually he arrived at a tent on his way home and he went inside and he saw someone that he recognized and this is him here you might not know him this is D.L. Moody and he was a preacher he was over from America and Wilfred had heard about him it had been announced that he was coming and here he was so he decided he would stay and listen to what he had to say and as the singing finished someone got up to pray and they prayed. They kept praying 
and they kept praying. And eventually D.L. Moody got up while they were praying and said, while our brother finishes his prayer, we'll sing a hymn. Could you imagine that happening today? You would feel a little bit embarrassed. Wilfred had got a little bit bored and he was about to leave, but then they sang this hymn and so he decided to stay. And eventually he heard D.L. Moody preach. D.L. Moody told him about sin and the rest of those gathered there, about the problem of sin, how that everyone, no matter who we are, have all broken God's law. They told him about the love of God, how that it wasn't deserved for us, but God sent his son into the world to be our saviour. And before D.L. Moody, or before uh, Wilfred Grenfell left that meeting, he became a Christian and he trusted in the Lord to be his saviour. And he finished medical school. And while he was still at medical school, he became a Sunday school teacher. Many of you have been in Sunday school this morning. And he told other children all about the gospel, the message that he had been saved. And he told them how they could be saved as well. And whenever he finished school, uh, medical school, he had to decide what he was going to do. And as he was thinking, he thought all about how um, he wanted to be a doctor, but he uh, he also loved being outdoors. Right from a child, he loved to be by the sea. And he thought, well, how can I incorporate all these things together? How can I be a doctor and do something with sea and be outdoors? But most of all, the thought that was in his mind the most was, now that I'm a Christian, how can I serve God? What can I do for God? How can I serve him? Where would he have me to go. And so Wilfred Grenfell, he was talking to a friend, an older doctor, and the doctor told him, I know just the job for you. And it was to be part of a mission that went to help fishermen. And that mission, they would go out on boats and fishermen who were injured would come onto their vessel, their medical ship, and they would receive treatment for their injuries. And while they were there, they would hear the gospel. They would be taught from the scriptures and they would have the opportunity to hear the gospel. So this man shared this need with Wilfred Grenfell and he decided that is the job for me. I'll do that. And so he traveled down to a place on the coast called Yarmouth and he boarded a ship called uh, the Thomas Gray. And this is something like what it would have been here. And he set sail for the Atlantic and he went over to the coast of Canada. And that's where he was. They would go alongside, maybe there'd be a a group of ships and maybe there'd be some injured sailors or fishermen and they would invite them onto their boat they'd treat their broken bones maybe in a storm they'd uh, the waves had crashed and they'd slipped and they'd hurt themselves well they would receive treatment for their injuries and Wilfred had the opportunity to share the gospel with them as well but not long after that uh, Wilfred decided uh, after looking across the coast uh, and seeing this area of Newfoundland in Canada that this is where the Lord would have him to go And so he went to Newfoundland and he was all over uh, this part of Canada, but he settled on Labrador. And while he was there, he found that many of the people there had never had a doctor before. Not only had they never had a doctor, they'd never had anyone come to share the gospel. So Wilfred settled in this part of Labrador in Canada and shared the gospel with them. He told the people the same message that D.L. Moody had shared with him from the Bible, how that he needed, how that they needed to become a Christian. The problem of their sin and how it would keep them separated from God. You know, you think, well, that's a really interesting story, uh, but why share this with you this morning? I know many of you are already Christians, and you might be wondering, well, what can I do for God at my age? Is there anything that God would have me to do even now? Well, the first thing I want to think about is that God makes all of us different. There's a verse found in Psalm chapter 139, and it says, For thou hast possessed my reins, or because you have created me, God, you have covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works, and that my soul knoweth right well. God had created Wilfred just the way that he was created, with all the interests and abilities that he had. Wilfred wasn't the smartest in his class at school or at medical school, but he had different interests that maybe others didn't have. And God was able to use him just the way he had created him. God had a plan for his life. And just as Wilfred was interested in the sea and being outdoors and all of these things, it worked perfectly in God's plan how that he was to go to share the gospel with these fishermen and to have these abilities to be practically and be good with his hands and to uh, be able to work on these ships. 
And you know, each of us here today, we're all being made differently. And if you're a Christian, the Apostle Paul describes, uses in the analogy of the body, whenever he's writing in 1 Corinthians, now that each of us has a different function. If we think about our bodies, we have our hands, we have our feet, we have our eyes, we have our ears, we have lots of different body parts, and they all have a different function. And we have been given two eyes and two ears, and we've been given lots of different parts, and God has given them each for a different reason. And we need each one of them. If we didn't have uh, two eyes, or we didn't have two ears, or we didn't have a nose, we would find it very difficult. And Paul uses that analogy, and he says, well, we can't say to the eye or to the ear uh, that we have no need of you. And God needs each part of our, uh, God needs each one of us, just like we need each part of our body. So maybe you have uh, a different interest or a different gift that God has given you. Well, we need each one of those gifts. So we shouldn't uh, be jealous of the things that other people are good at. Instead, we should seek to use what God has given us. And secondly, God prepared Wilfred for what he would do whenever he was younger in life. Wilfred had all these interests, as I've already said. And whenever Wilfred grew up later, they would become very helpful. I wonder, what is God preparing you for? Maybe you'll go to university one day, or maybe you'll not. Maybe you'll go and learn a trade, or you'll go and learn a skill. But God can use us where he places us. We don't all have to go to university, and we don't all have to go and learn a trade. He might not call you to the missionary field. He might call you to stay at home and to support missionaries, but he has a job for each one of us to do, no matter what age we are as well. We don't just have to wait until we're older to serve God. Lastly, you might say, well, I'm only in primary school. What can I do for God? I want to think just as we close about a story in the Bible, uh, involves our Lord Jesus and how he made something very small work and for something very great. And this is it here. Is the feeding of the 5,000, or really the feeding of a great multitude. There are 5,000 men there, plus the women and plus the children. Does anyone know what did the Lord Jesus use to feed all the people? Was it? Yes, Micah? The fish and bread. Who did it belong to? Where did he get it from? Yes. A little boy. That's where he got the fish and the bread from. And we read here in chapter uh, John chapter 6, verses 8 and 9, that one of the disciples called Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, saith unto him, unto the Lord, there is a lad here which has five barley loaves and two small fishes. But what are they among so many? Here we have just a young lad with his lunch. And on its own, it might not seem like very much, but yet the Lord is able to use it to feed many thousands of people. And that reminds me of you and I this morning reminds me of us because each one of us can do something for the Lord even though we aren't uh, very much on our own wherever the Lord uses us we can do great things for him but not everyone thought this way Andrew said but what are they among so many how can you feed all these people Lord with just five loaves and two fishes well the Lord was able to do it he used a rod uh, of Moses's to do great miracles in Egypt. He used a sling of David's to cast down Goliath. And he was able to use just five loaves and two fishes to feed all of these people. But notice very carefully, boys and girls, it was only whenever this little lunch was given to the Lord Jesus that he was able to feed all these people. If the little lad had tried to do it or the disciples on their own, they wouldn't have been able to feed all the people. And it's only as we are Christians, if we give our lives to God, if we give our futures to him, that he is able to use us much more than we ever could. And D.L. Moody, the man who shared the gospel with Wilfred Grenfell, he said, give your life to God because he can do more with it than you can. And that's all for each one of us. We should give our lives to God and seek to serve him because he can do so much more than we ever could on our own. But Jesus didn't have to use this young lad's lunch. He could have done a miracle without it. He could have fed the people without using the lunch. But yet he chose to use it. And he chooses to use each one of us, no matter what our age is and no matter what stage we're at in life. God has a role for us to play. So thank you very much for listening. And I'll let you go back to your seats.
Good morning. Can I add my uh, welcome uh, to Johnny's? I think Abigail, you thought you were going to be left out there, but he covered himself okay on the end of things. So thank you, Daniel Phelps. Can I welcome you? It's good to see have you with us this morning. And if you're visiting with us or listening online, we welcome you as well. It's good to have our brother Kenny with us uh, this morning. Go uh, back a long way with us, probably before he was in the Lord's work full time, before he was called into pastoral ministry, even with us. Um, we fellowship with him over the years, so it's good to have our brother uh, with us again uh, this morning. He's currently pastor in Mournview Fellowship. A uh, latter part of service, wait behind. Remember the Lord Jesus in the breaking of bread. If you're saved and you're seeking to walk with him, we encourage you to wait behind. Remember him this morning. Then 6 o'clock this evening is our time of prayer. 6.30 is our gospel service. Again, our brother Kenny will be along. And just to remind you that being the last uh, Sunday of the month, there'll be a cup of tea after the service this evening. Then Tuesday night, 8 p.m. is our Ladies' Fellowship. And this month is taken by Beth Montgomery representing Asia. Like I'm sure it's been a very interesting meeting, so I encourage as many ladies as possible uh, to come along to that. Then Wednesday night, 6.45, our searchers, 8 p.m. is our Bible study and prayer meeting. Our brother Trevor Matthews will be with us on Wednesday evening. Then Thursday morning, 10.30, Tiny Tots. And then at 8 p.m. in the evening, we ha have an office bearers meeting. Uh, it takes through to next Sunday, 10.15, the Sunday School and Bible class. And the service at 11.30 and 6.30. And the speaker all day is Junior Hilland uh, from the Car Church. Also, next Sunday evening, Youth Fellowship. Uh, they meet uh, for Food and Fellowship. And their guest speaker is Ben Murray from the Iron Hall, uh, speaking on Christian life and school from a teacher's perspective. So I encourage again the young people uh, to come along to that. As Johnny mentioned, we want to uh, pass on our sincere sympathy to the Shaw family on the home call of Ed's mum. A uh, service of Thanksgiving is planned for Wednesday at 12.30, and that's in First Carrick Fergus uh, Presbyterian Church. And then just also mention the Faith and Action team. They have arrived safely in Abidjan. I think maybe there's a photograph of them. You guys, the back, see how we go. I keep talking and see if it appears there. Um, as mentioned, there they are. There's the guys and the other team members. Uh, they're safely arrived. Um, looks but warmer there probably it is here this morning as well. Maybe not in the church, we're maybe actually acclimatizing ourselves uh, this morning too. Uh, unfortunately, as mentioned, uh, Nigel's case hasn't arrived, uh, so please pray for that. It contains some parts uh, that they need for their work, so pray that that will arrive. I think it also uh, contains Nigel's supply of crisps and uh, McCoys and whatever else, so I think that's probably important too, so uh, pray that that would arrive safely as well. They have about a five or six hour drive this morning uh, to the base where they're going to be based obviously over the two weeks of there so please pray for the team uh the ongoing work out there in ivory coast and that's all the announcements always made subject to the lord's will thank you brian we'll sing again briefly before our brother comes and speaks to us uh, again praise him uh, it's another one that we're maybe not so used to singing uh, but the words are beautiful um 288 uh, oh to be like the blessed redeemer this is my constant longing and prayer. Quite a few verses here. We'll sing the uh, first two and the fourth. So one, two, and four. Please standing to sing. <clears throat> <laughs> Okay. 
It's lovely to be with you this morning in Sainfield, and thank you to our brother Jonathan for leading the meeting and for Brian's kind words of welcome as well. We're coming to Matthew's Gospel, please. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 27. We're just going to read a few verses here from verse 50, please. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 27 and verse 50. And what I want to speak about this morning, just for a little time, is the immensity of Calvary. I've been in the pastorate now for just over 20 years as a joiner for 20 years and I've just been a pastor now for just over 20 years I still call myself a joiner like but anyway it's a bit strange somebody calling me pastor and tell you the truth is nice brother Brian just called me Kenny and that's that's what I like but anyway for the past 20 odd years I've been preaching about Calvary no other theme just Christ and him crucified and that's the best message that anybody can preach. So we're thinking this morning about the immensity of Calvary, the greatness of the work that Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, did for wretched, hell-deserving sinners such as we. Come to Matthew chapter 27 and verse 50, please. And I want you to keep your Bible open this morning. We'll be going to Exodus chapter 26 very shortly. And then we'll... I don't know where, we'll be going to Hebrews chapter 10 at the end, but I'll have to jump out a bit as well. I'm used to preaching for about 45 minutes in more view, so I'm going to have to squeeze this all in a wee bit. But anyway, we'll get finished in good time. And if I don't finish, you just sing away. You sing a hymn just like my brother did. And I'll, I'll know then I'll spoke too long if you're up singing a hymn, so then I'll, I'll just shut up after that. But anyway, you watch the reading because you'll see the word and, and it appears eight times. Just in a short passage, you'll see, now let's look at verse 50, Matthew 27 and verse 50. Jesus, when he had cried again with a loud voice, yielded up the ghost. There you have the Lord Jesus given his life on the cross at Calvary for you and for me. Now when the Lord Jesus did that, it set off a chain reaction. A number of things happened. And this is why you've got the word and. You just watch it here as we read together. So the Lord Jesus has given his life voluntarily on the cross. And verse 51 says, and. So this is the first thing that's going to happen when the Lord Jesus gives his life on the cross. And behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom. It's about half a mile from Calvary to the temple in Jerusalem, just over half a mile. Uh, and when the Lord Jesus gave his life, you can see that the sanctuary was affected. There was a disturbance in the temple when Jesus Christ gave his life on the cross. The veil was rent in twain from the top to the bottom. Then look at it again. Verse, in the middle of the verse there, and the earth did quake, and the rocks rent. And not only was the sanctuary affected, but the soil and the stones were affected when the Lord Jesus gave his life on the cross. So you can see there was a disturbance in the temple, and there was a disturbance in the topography, if you like. The soil and the stones were affected. And of course, there's reasons for that. We'll not go into it just too much this morning. Look at verse 52. And, so you've got, and behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom, and the earth did quake, and the rocks rent, and the graves were opened, and many 
of the bodies of the saints who had slept arose. Not only was the sanctuary affected, not only was the soil affected, but the sepulchres were affected. The temple, the topography, and the tombs were affected when the Lord Jesus gave us life on the cross at Calvary. And then look at verse 53 again, and came out, verse 52, and many of the, the bodies of the saints who had slept arose and came out of the graves after his resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared unto many. And you can see the saints were affected as well, the sleeping saints, those who had died in the Lord were risen again. And this is the immensity of Calvary. These are the things that happened. There's other things that happened. We could preach a long time on it. The immensity of what Jesus Christ did and the things that happened because the Lord Jesus gave his life on the cross, Calvary. There's no doubt about it. I think everybody would agree with me that the work of Calvary, the finished work of the Lord Jesus on the cross, is the greatest work done by the greatest person at the greatest price, for the greatest purpose, for the greatest amount of people. And everybody would say amen to that. Hallelujah, what a saviour. But the first thing that happened when the Lord Jesus gave his life on the cross, remember that death had no claim over the Lord Jesus. The Lord Jesus could have hung on that cross at Calvary from then to now and would never have died because death had no claim over him. I was listening to a preacher. I always listen to preaching, good preachers. I was listening to a good old preacher in the car the other day. I was going somewhere. And he said, I nearly fell out of the car. He said the Lord Jesus bled to death on the cross at Calvary. Now, this is a man I love. Respect. He's dead now, of course. But I thought, no, sir, that's not right. The Lord Jesus didn't bleed to death on the cross. The Lord Jesus, it actually says that he, he, he yielded up the ghost. He dismissed his spirit. He gave his life. And when the Lord Jesus had given his life, remember they put the spear in and there was loads of blood. The precious blood of the Lord Jesus flowed out after he had given his life. So the Lord Jesus didn't die of wounds and he didn't bleed to death and nobody killed the Lord on the cross. No, no, no. The Lord Jesus gave his life for me and I need to give my life for him. That's what our young brother was telling the boys and girls this morning. Because the Lord Jesus has given everything to us, we ought to give everything to him. Now let's look here at verse 50 again. Jesus, when he had cried again with a loud voice, yielded up the ghost, and behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom. The sanctuary was affected. This veil was rent in twain from the top to the bottom when the Lord Jesus gave his life on the cross at Calvary. Now, the veil in the temple, just like the veil in the tabernacle, this is when I want you to come. Come, please, to Exodus chapter 26 and verse 31. The veil in the temple, just like the veil in the tabernacle, was an object of real beauty. It was a real beautiful thing to see the veil hanging in the temple. And it's described here, the veil in the tabernacle is described here in Exodus chapter 26 and verse 31. We're going to come to here and you just stay here a minute or two and I'll talk away for a wee minute. Exodus chapter 26 and verse 31. And thou shalt make a veil of blue. You just watch the verse now. That you, you'll Watch the colors and watch the craftsmanship and watch the cherubims. Three things that are easy seen in verse 20, 31 here. Exodus 26, verse 31. And thou shalt make a veil of blue and purple and scarlet and fine twined linen of cunning work and cherubims shall it be made. You can see the colors, beautiful colors. You can see the craftsmanship. There's, it's made with a cunning work and you can see the cherubims or the cherubim that should be on the, the veil. Now, we don't have to speculate. When we come to the Bible, sometimes preachers can speculate and say things maybe that are not even right. But we don't have to speculate what the veil represents. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 22 says, By a new and living way which he hath consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say, his flesh. So the veil here that we are reading about, it represents the body, it represents the life, it represents the absolute humanity of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now let's look at the veil for a wee minute or two. Look at verse 31. And thou shalt make a veil of blue and purple and scarlet and fine twined linen of cunning work with cherubims shall it be made. We can see the veil, first of all, was a cunning work. It was very, very meticulously and carefully put together. There wasn't a stitch out of place. 
And of course, it speaks of the wonderful character of the Lord Jesus Christ. There was never a step out of place in the life of the Lord Jesus. The Lord Jesus, there was nothing rough nor crude about him. He was full of grace and truth. And this veil is a cunning work. It, it speaks of the perfect character of the Lord Jesus Christ. First John 3 verse 5 says, And ye know that he was manifested to, to take away our sins, and in him is no sin. He's absolutely perfect. And this cunning work pictures the perfect character of the Lord Jesus. Look at the verse again, verse 31. You notice that it's not only a, a cunning work speaking of the complete character of the Lord Jesus, it's a colorful work speaking of the complex character of the Lord Jesus. Now look at verse 31. And thou shalt make a veil of blue. And the color blue, of course, it's the, it's the heavenly color. I have a friend in Limavady I made when I was a pastor down there, John Campbell, you call him. And John and I are very good friends and we meet up regular and we go for maybe a 10 mile walk or so uh, and then we have a cup of tea well he doesn't even drink tea he just drinks water he's easy carried anyway but he rang me the other day and he says look i'll not be able to come down tomorrow because it's snowing up here there's five inches of snow on the top of my car and he says it's chucking it down and i says well i'm in banbridge here and the sky is as blue and it's absolutely gorgeous down here in the tropics in Banbridge. And you should move down here, I said to him. But there's not much blue sky today, but the blue is the heavenly color. It speaks of the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. There's a verse in 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 47. It says, the first man is of the earth, earthy, but the second man's the Lord from glory, or the Lord of glory. And the blue represents the glory of the Lord Jesus. Look at verse 31 again. And purple. That represents the majesty of the Lord Jesus. When the wise men came, Matthew 2, verse 2, they asked the question that they could never have asked of anybody else, where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen a star in the east and are come to worship him. And the, the purple speaks of the majesty of the Lord Jesus. Look at it again. And thou shalt make a veil of blue and a purple and scarlet. That speaks of the ministry of the Lord Jesus. If you know your Bible, and I trust you do, that word scarlet there, it's the same word you find. Well, the Hebrew word is found in Psalm 22, verse 2. And you know Psalm 22 is that wonderful psalm that shows us more of the sufferings of the Lord Jesus on the cross than all of the Gospels put together. And when you come to Psalm 22 and verse 6, these are, I think these are the words of the Lord Jesus prophetically spoken. But I am a worm, a noma, a reproach of men and despised of the people. And as the Lord was hanging on the cross at Calvary, shedding his precious blood, he said, I am a worm. Now look at that word there, scarlet. 34 times in the Bible it's translated scarlet. Eight times it's translated crimson. And about a dozen times it's translated worm. And this is showing us the ministry of the Lord Jesus. The scarlet and the veil is showing us that he is going to shed his precious blood. The blue and the veil tells us that he's the Lord from glory. The, the purple and the veil tells us that he is the King of kings and Lord of lords. And then look at it again. And then it says in scarlet and fine twined linen. Now fine twined linen is as white as snow. And that speaks of the purity of the sinless Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. First Peter 2.22 says, Who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. Now just glance down to the next verse till you see this verse 32. Remember this veil now, it speaks of the character of the Lord Jesus, his glory and his majesty and his ministry and his purity. And then look what it says in verse 32, And thou shalt hang it upon four pillars of shittim wood, and they're covered with pure gold and so on. You see, it takes, this is why there's four Gospels, not five or three or one. It takes four Gospels to show us the perfect character, the complex character of the Lord Jesus Christ. When you come to the blue there, this is bringing us to John's Gospel. John's Gospel presents to us the Son of God and all his wondrous, wondrous glory. When we come to the, the purple, the majesty, of course, that's Matthew's gospel, Matthew presents to us the king of kings. You see the pedigree in the first few chapters, tracing the Lord right back to David and so on. And the, the purple represents Matthew's gospel, the, the majestic king of kings and lord of lords. And then you've got the scarlet. 
That's the ministry of the Lord Jesus presented in Mark's gospel. In Mark's gospel, there's no genealogy or anything because a servant doesn't need one. You see, he's just going about and you'll find the word straightway and you'll find the word immediately. And the Lord's going here and there and he's always working in Mark's gospel. And that's the gospel of the servant. That's the scarlet. And then you come to Luke's gospel, the gospel of the Son of Man. And you see his perfect humanity in Luke's gospel. And of course, that's the fine twine linen or the white. And this is the complex character of the Lord Jesus. Look up to verse 31 again, please. And thou shalt make a veil of blue and purple and scarlet and fine twined linen of cunning work with cherubims. You can see it was a, it was a cunning work. It was very carefully put together. And you can see it was a colorful work presenting the complex character of the Lord Jesus. But it was a cautious work. Look what it says here. With cherubims shall it be made. You see, the first time you find the cherubim in the Bible is back in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 24. Sin had come into the world and the tree of life there and God placed the cherubim with the flaming sword to keep man. It was to really to keep man away from God. And this was a careful work. The cherubim said to man, thus far and no further, you can't get in to the presence of God because the cherubim are there to keep sinful man out from the presence of God. And that was the purpose of the veil in the temple. It was to keep sinful man out from the presence of God. And what the veil really does, it shows us what it takes to get in to the presence of God. It takes a perfect life that you and I could never live. It takes a perfect standard that you and I could never reach. It takes the Lord Jesus to get us in to the presence of God. And my friend, that's why the Lord Jesus said that I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man cometh unto the Father but by me. Now, let's come back to Matthew's gospel, please. If my wife was here, she'd be saying, you're talking far too fast. Would you slow down a bit? But the clock's going quick and fast as well. So she's not here this morning, and I don't think she's watching online. So don't you be telling her that I was talking too fast this morning. Come to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 27 and verse 50. Now that's just to get it into your mind. Now what, what the veil represents, it represents the perfect life, the character and the complex character of the lovely Son of God, the Lord Jesus, the Lord of glory. Now, this makes perfect sense to me. If you look at verse 50 now, Matthew 27, verse 15, it says, Jesus, when he had cried again with a loud voice, yielded up, the ghost, and behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom. It makes perfect sense to me. If the veil represents the perfect life of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the minute he gives his life on the cross, well, sure, this has to happen. This veil that pictures the perfect life of the Lord Jesus, when he gives his life, it has to be torn in two from the top to the bottom. There's no other way around it. It has to be just as the Lord Jesus said when he was instituting the table, he said, this bread is broken. It was broken. The body was broken. And his life was given and the veil was rent in twain from the top to the bottom. Now, if you look carefully at the verse there, you'll see three things. I'm just going to mention these. I'm not going to go into them because I want to get to Hebrews chapter 10. The first thing you'll notice that it was divinely rent. It was rent from the top to the bottom. Now, there is a tradition, and I've heard the brethren in our assembly praying and talking about this veil and the, how it was four inches thick. The Bible talks about a handbreadth, and that's four inches near enough, four inches thick. But nowhere in the Bible does it say that the thing's four inches thick. There's a tradition in the, that history book, Josephus, and he said it was a handbreadth, but that's only, we don't know if that's right or not. But what we can find in the Bible, 1 Kings chapter 6, verse 16, tells us that the, the place where the veil was in the temple was 20 cubits high. Now, a cubit is from there, from the end of your finger till your elbow. For me, it's about 20 and a half inches, but the normal person I'm not saying I'm abnormal, like, but for the normal person, it's 18 inches. So if the veil is 20 cubits, that means it's 30 feet. Now, I would say that ceiling there from the floor, that's not far away from 30 feet. So that's roughly, it's probably less than 30, but that's roughly about the height of the thing. So man cannot tear it. It's, it's beyond the rich of man. It's divinely rented. It was God that did it. If I said to you, this is just by the way, if I said to you who was the tallest man in the Bible, you would probably say, what would you say? If I said, who's the tallest man in the Bible? Everybody says Goliath, but there's another fellow 
And I can actually spell his name. It's the name Og, O-G. Og, Og, king of Bashan. And, and you read in Deuteronomy 3, verse 11, that his bed was nine cubits long. So that's 13 and a half feet. He was a big lad. I wouldn't like to fill out with him. But anyway, and his bed was four, nine by four, 13 and a half feet by six. That's the brave size of a bed. I think he was the tallest man in the Bible. And that's a bit, say, that says 13 feet. But this veil is 30 feet, and man can't, see, man always comes short of the glory of God. He can't reach up and tear it. It was divinely rent. You'll notice also that it wasn't pulled over to the one side. If the message that God wanted to get over to us, that the way into God is now made, pulling over to the one side would have done all right. But it wasn't pulled over to the one side. No, it, it was torn from the top to the bottom. It was divinely rent. It was completely rent. And there wasn't a thread left together. And you see, what God is telling us is that it's not just that the way is made into God, but all the ritual of religion and robes and all that nonsense that goes on has been done away with forever. The dispensation of the law is over and we're in the dispensation of grace and God has moved out to meet with you and with me. You see, it's just like the stone. The stone in the tomb wasn't took away to let the Lord Jesus out. It was to let us know that he was out. And the rent veil is the same. It's not to let us know that God has moved out, but that God is out and God can be met with. Now, for the sake of time, let's come to Hebrews. <clears throat> Hebrews chapter 10. The veil was divinely rent. It was publicly rent. It was completely rent. And it tells us that all that old stuff in the past is all gone. We have a simplicity of worship. And we have continuity of fellowship with God just because the veil has been rent in twin. Now, we'll do this quick. It's 25 past 12. When do you come to Hebrews 10 and verse 19? <clears throat> Hebrews 10 and verse 19. Because if it doesn't mean anything to us, it's all right knowing all this stuff, but if it doesn't mean something to me, well, it's no use. This is now the practical application of the rent veil. Because the Lord Jesus gave his life on the cross, and because the veil was rent in twain from the top to the bottom, look what it says here, Hebrews 10, verse 19. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus. First of all, you can see the availability of God. Having therefore, brethren, boldness, absolute confidence to meet with God. We don't have to come with special robes on. We don't have to come with a sacrifice. We don't have to come with any money. We just can come to God any place, anywhere, any time, any situation. We can approach God. This is the availability of God. And my friend, the circumstances in your life might be like mine. They're not that handy. Things can go wrong and family members can be diagnosed with this, that and the other thing. And so many things can go wrong. But when things go wrong and even when they don't go wrong, we have an available God. God has moved out to meet with you and with me because his son gave his life on the cross at Calvary. And when the room is dark at night and when you're lonely and when you're sad and when you're heartbroken, I can tell you that God is available to meet with you if you're born again that is. And you see, this is what the rent veil speaks to me of, the availability of God. And then look at verse 19 again. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus. Not only the availability of God, but the sufficiency of the blood. You see, you and I will never need anything more. You know, you'll not live the rest of this Sunday without sinning. Before I get to the car, I'll probably have sinned and word or thought or deed. You and I will not live the rest of this day without sinning. But I can tell you that the blood of Jesus Christ is able to cleanse you from all sin. This is the sufficiency of the blood. Not only to get us into the presence of God, but to keep us fit to be in the presence of God. And my friend, I know many believers and they're burdened down with some old sin. I know a dear brother who did something when he was 18 and he's near 70 now and is still holding him back. And I said to him many time, look, Forget about it because it's under the blood of Jesus Christ. And he says, I can't forgive myself. And he says, who asked you? Sure, forgiving yourself, but no use. Forgiving yourself is only a mental thing. No, Jesus Christ is the only one who can forgive sins. God forgives sins because of the precious blood of the Lord Jesus. 
And my friend, you don't need to be burdened down by the old sins of the past. Remember the sufficiency of the blood, the cleansing blood. There's power. There's wonder-working power in the precious blood of Calvary. You can see the availability of God. You can see the sufficiency of the blood. But then look what it says in verse 20. By a new and living way which he hath consecrated for us. That's for us. That's the immensity of the love. Imagine the Lord doing that for me. Imagine the Lord doing that for you. The Lord Jesus, when he gave his life on Calvary's cross, and when the veil was rent in twain from the top to the bottom, that's personal for you, because he did it for us. Born-again believers, blood-washed believers, we can rest on the immensity of God's love for us. Sometimes we don't love ourselves, and sometimes nobody else loves us, but I can tell you that God will always love you. No matter what you do, you know, I'm not saying you should live in sin. No, I'm not saying that. But I'm saying if you get down in the dumps and you feel that nobody loves you, always remember that God loves you. And this is the availability of God. This is the sufficiency of the blood. This is the immensity of the love. And then look what it says, through the veil, that is to say, his flesh. This is the agony of the cross. My friend, the Lord Jesus on the cross at Calvary suffered things that I could never even describe. You take a wee moment sometime this afternoon if you're not sleeping too much. Psalm 22. Just read Psalm 22. And you come to verses maybe 13, 14, 15, down to 16. You just see what the Lord did for you. And I'll tell you, you'll not be lying in this evening saying, you know, I couldn't be bothered going out to the gospel meeting. Oh, no, you'll not. My friend, if you can get the sufferings of the Lord Jesus into your mind, you'll give everything. That's why that hymn, when I survey the wondrous cross, says in verse 4, Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. My friend, there's so much slack Christianity going on. Contemporary Christianity, they call it, I don't know what to call it anyway, I have no time for it. But my friend, there's so much slackness and complacency. And what is wrong is that people have lost sight of what the Lord Jesus really did on the cross at Calvary. Oh, they haven't really took it in what it cost the Holy One to bear away our sins. You see, this is the agony of the cross. That is to say, his flesh. And then come the verse 21. It's half past. I'll just finish here. So you can see the availability of God. See, tomorrow when you've got the Monday blues and you couldn't be bothered going to work, and I feel like it sometimes too, let's remember God is available for every minute of every day. Because the veil is rent from twain and twain from the top to the bottom. The availability, the sufficiency of the blood. And you'll say something wrong and you'll do some stupid thing, the same as me. But I'll tell you, there's cleansing power in the precious blood of the Lord Jesus. We don't need to be burdened down by sin. First John 1 and verse 9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You can see the sufficiency of the blood. You can see the immensity of the love. God loves you with an everlasting love. You can see the agony of the cross. And then I want you to see the ministry of the Savior. This is what the Lord Jesus does for us. You remember, look at verse 21 first. And having an high priest over the house of God. This is the ministry of the Savior. You see, when the veil was standing there, Aaron and his predecessors, the high priests of Israel, they could go in there once a year, but not without blood. And they had to go to the altar and they had to make a sacrifice for themselves. And then they had to make a sacrifice for the sins of the people. And they had to come and put coals in the golden altar of incense. And they had to do, had to do so much just to get in once a year to the presence of God. But my friend, that priesthood is finished. Now, the Aaronic priesthood is finished. And look what it says here. Having an high priest over the house of God. You see, this is now the, the Lord Jesus is a priest after the order of Melchizedek. The, the Jews never had this. This is something that's unique to us. We have a non-changing priest, the Lord Jesus Christ, whoever liveth to make intercession for us. There's one in glory who sympathizes with you every single moment of the day. The Lord Jesus knows how God thinks because he's God. And he knows how you think because he's man as well. And my friend, no matter what big a mess you and I get into, I'll tell you there's one who loves you and one who sympathizes with you. 
Hebrews 4 verse 15 says, For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but who was in all points tempted like as we are yet without sin. And then verse 16 says, Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And my friend, because we have a high priest over the house of God, you can come to him with your problems and you can come to him with your difficulties and the burdens that you have. There's a lovely verse in Psalm 55, 22. It says, cast thy burden upon the Lord and he shall sustain thee. He shall never suffer the righteous to be moved. And then 1 Peter 5, verse 7 says, casting. So in the Old Testament, it's cast. That's a once and for all action. But in the New Testament, it's casting. I'm a fisherman, you say, and I know about about casting. Casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. And when I'm out fly fishing with my friend John, <coughs> the whole idea with casting is to get the fly as far from you as you can get it. So I'd be aiming for that fella down the corners as far as I could. And that's the idea. Cast thy burden upon the Lord. Casting all your care upon him. Get them as far away from you and get them as far as you can. And the Lord Jesus will look after your cares. Casting all your care upon him for he cares for you. And that's what happened when the Lord Jesus gave his life on the cross. The veil was rent in twain. Not to let us in, but to let God out to meet with us. And we can meet with God anytime, any place, anywhere. And we can come with any trouble or any burden or any trial or any difficulty. And we have a high priest over the house of God who ever liveth to make intercession for you. And as the Lord Jesus not only went to Calvary to redeem us, he sits at the right hand of God to represent us. And then he's coming to receive us, coming to the air, of course, to receive us, to be with himself. And all that has flowed to us from what the Lord Jesus Christ did on the cross at Calvary when he gave his life. Sorry, I have to finish there. I've gone over the time, but I trust the Lord will bless his word. Do rest very much in what the Lord Jesus Christ has done and rest on his finished work. And you will find life will just be that wee bit easier day by day. We're going to sing a verse or two of our closing hymn. It's number 352 in the praise hymn book, please, number 352. Well, there's a ball of verses in it too. We'll, we'll just sing the first two verses, please. Verses 1 and 2, just standing to sing. No, we'll have to sing verse 3 as well. Well, there's the boss there speaking. That's good. Praise the Lord, sing the whole thing. And uh, during the last verse, after the last verse, I'll have a wee closing word of prayer, and Jonathan and I will just go to the door and greet those who have to leave from the Lord's table. Three, five, two. Let's, I've been overruled. Let's sing the whole thing, please.